Let's continue on understanding what it is that we say. What are we doing? What are we davening for? What? How are we connecting to the King of Kings? And so now let's continue because now we're deep into the teachings of Rishley, uh, Rikshay Lev, Woman and Tefillah, as brought to us by Rabbi Menachem Naisel. Let's get clarity. So now let's continue and let's talk about deeper perspectives. And let's talk about Rabbi Moshe Sapira on women's tefillah. So, Shiasani Kitsonum. So he says here that he's had the unfathomable zekut to consider himself a Talmud of Rab Moshe Shapira. So that's for 37 years. And during his years as a seminary teacher, he had many conversations about women's tefillot. He was highly sensitive to the many challenges that women face. So when he wrote Rikshlei Lev, he instructed him that the book should always strive to make life easier for women. So in the in in the previous chapters, we explained the bracha shiasani kitsonu based on the writings of Rav Wolbe, and so Rav Moshe offered an, uh, another approach, unleashing an extremely empowering insight into women's essential nature. So what was Hashem's will in creating the world? The Ramhal says to share His goodness with His creations unconditional giving of goodness with no prerequisites and no other reason than his desire to give so where do we find something similar in creation it's the mindset of women women a woman is not obligated to get married raise children or facilitate the torah growth of her husband nevertheless this is her will her ratzon every morning she celebrates that her will parallels his will so but there's something deeper happening here the torah tells us Semach Zebulun Betsesecha. Zebulun rejoices when traveling. The tribe of Zebulun will go on long and arduous journeys to make money to support the Torah studies of the tribe of Issachar. So why would Zebulun rejoice as he embarks on a voyage that could be both exhausting and perilous? Secular society conditions us to find happiness through indulgence. The advertising world relentlessly reminds us that happiness is found in doing things for ourselves. And from the best part of waking up to the entertainment that ends our day, we're told to delight in self-serving pleasure. Zevolun knows better. Zevolun knows that the ultimate simcha is found in the act of doing for others. Ask anyone who has married off a child. When did they experience a deeper inner simcha? At their own wedding years before or as they walked their own child to the chupa? Their greatest joy came not when they were the center of attention it was when they basked in the fruits of years of toil and tears he once asked the ncys a teenager what had been the most fulfilling joy-filled moment in her life so far her first instinct was to talk about getting front row tickets for her favorite band yet after deep reflection she described her experience volunteering in a hospital helping others who could not help themselves she had her zebulun moment so what is her what is the source for this simcha it's from Hashem Himself. We say in Davening, Yishmak Hashem Be'ma'asav. Hashem rejoices with His creations. Hashem gives us absolutely everything, and this Yachol gives Him continuous simcha. And this is the essential nature of women. Like Zebulun, women recognize that the ultimate simcha is Hashem simcha. All day long they give Him conditionally, thereby imitating their Creator. And this is a source of happiness in the deepest, most profound way. Every morning as she recites morning brachot and celebrates the blessings in her life, a woman celebrates her gender. She turns to Hashem and says, your will is unconditional giving and in that you find the consummate simcha. My will is unconditional giving and then that i find the consummate simcha thank you hashem for having made my will the same as your will so what's the hardest part of your job 
I, he once asked the campus key roof director. Without pausing to reflect, he answered, taking my female students to shul for the first time. He dreaded the women's reaction when they realized that they were that, that they're on the other side of the bachitza, detached and excluded from all the action. Indeed, when visiting the old shuls of Eastern Europe, it's often shocking to see that the meager size of the Ezra's nashim. Where did the women daven? What were what, what are we missing here? So when it comes to authentic tefillah. Rab Moshe explains that women do not sit in the back of the bus, they drive it. The Rambam, whose every word is weighed like fine gold, does something unusual when introducing Hilho's tefillah. He gives the historical background of how tefillah developed. In ancient times when anyone wanted to dive into Hashem, they would talk to him at any time in their own words. And one can almost envision how in an age of prophecy, a woman would step out of her home in her village in the Galilee, look heavenward and know exactly what words to say. Her quasi-prophetic instincts would allow her to perfectly communicate her needs and stresses to her loving creator. But this all changed with the armies of Nebuchadnezzar. We were taken into exile in the art of prayer. Wordsmith was lost. Hazal intervened and wrote a Nusak for three daily prayers, and this became the mandatory standard for the new post-prophetic era. And Rab Moshe points out that during this period, we see the introduction of communal prayer. Let kenos es kol hayudim. Esther cries Esther, and a hostile world that wants to assimilate us and dissolve our uniqueness, we need to gather together and pray with unity. The rabbis promoting communal prayer were called Anshei Knesses Agedola, the men of the great assembly. The word Knesses assembly echoes the idea of Bes Knesses, a place to gather together for prayer. And until then, all tefilot mentioned in Tanakh had been private, whether Abraham Avinu's davening for Saddam, Moshe Rabbeinu davening for Klal Israel, or Hannah, a broken woman alone in Shiloh, davening for the ability to bear a child. They were all solitary pleas hidden from the public eye. So Rav Moshe identifies the source of our decreased ability to daven alone. Our bitter enemy, Bilam HaRasha, cursed the Jewish people, but Hashem turned the curses into blessings. The Talmud relates that the blessings all turned back into curses, except for Ma Tovu Ahalecha Yaakov. The braha that our shuls and study halls will flourish. But why did the blessings turn back into curses? How did Bilam earn this victory? Rav Moshe explains that the evil Bilam knew our weak point. He had Balak send in the Midianite woman and the Jewish men fell into their trap. And with the crushing of the Kedushah of the Jewish male, our heavenly protection is lost. History will repeat itself with the Babylonian exile. The Jewish men assimilated. Some married non-Jewish women. The Kedushah of our nation slipped away and with it immunity from these curses. Bilam's curses had been so lovingly flipped into blessings were now returned to their original evil intent except for two safe havens, the Beknesses and the Bekhtamidrash, the Ohelachach Yaakov. And this period of history, in this, the Shul became our fortress and refuge from the ravages of spiritually malevolent environment. Indeed, for over 2,000 years, our Shuls and our Yeshivot have protected us from the outside and nourished us from within. Now comes Rav Moshe's conjured point. Jewish women never sinned with the Midianites. In fact, the whole episode was embarrassment for them. Hassel tells us that Jewish women had true beauty. Why would their husbands leave them for those lowly females? The Nashaim Sikadnios retained their Kedushah, hidden in the sanctity of their own Ohel, the Jewish home. When Bilam's curses returned in full force, they were directed to the men, not to the women. The women never fell for Bilam's trap. Therefore, women never ended, never needed the shul as a safe haven. 
Women retain the ancient form of tefillah as in the times of prophecy. The Jewish home is the only ohel they need. They maintain the ability to take every small strain and pain and turn it into eloquent, heartfelt words of prayer. A woman davens for her children ten times a day and cries for Mashiach to come. This is her legacy. This is her birthright. So, of course, it is still advantageous for a woman to go to shul, especially, for example, in the cases like Yamin Noraim. But they don't need to go to shul in the same way as men do. Or our grandmothers did what they saw their grandmothers do. Davening the way the Rambam describes as the pure, pristine form of tefillah, the way it was always supposed to be. Interestingly, Rab Moshe would tell us in the name of the Vilna Gayon that the most powerful place for prayers in times of, of need is not the coastal. It's Kever Rachel, the place where our matriarch Rachel Imenu would stand by the wayside in the classic form of female tefillah, weeping for her children as they went into exile. So to illustrate a woman used to daven, Rab Moshe was fond of relating the following story. World War I was raging in East, Eastern Europe, taking a terrible toll on the Jewish population. The Chafetz Chaim felt the special measures must be taken. On a designated day, the Chafetz Chaim requested that the men should leave the main shul of each town and let the women take over. He wanted to unleash the power of the big guns of tefillah, the Nashim Sikanios. So Rav Moshe's father, Rav Yitzhak Meir, was a young boy at the time living in the city of Brisk. He was eager to see what the woman would do when the men had left. So he snuck, ironically, into the women's section to watch the women below. It was order, extraordinary, awe-inspiring sight. The women came in, some holding their children. One of them opened up the Arona Kodesh. The shul erupted as they all started screaming and crying to Hashem in Yiddish. No Sidurim, no Tehillim, nobody leading a service. Each one was formulating her own prayers and her own words and pleading with her creator in the Mama Lashon. They were doing what was natural for them, doing what they had seen their mothers and grandmothers do with a glorious legacy that goes back to the tears of Hannah and the Imahos. Tefillah in its pristine form is an encounter between the created and the creator. It is by nature a very private act. The great moments of prayer in history were all hidden from the public gaze. It is then surprising to observe that women are such natural daveners. The private inner world to which they are so inst instinctively attached is the fertile soil where mankind connects to God. Rab Moshe in his Hashkamah to our Sefer expresses these ideas in just a few precise words using the language of Panimius. And we, we, he says here, we bring Rav Aharon Feldman's letter on contemporary issues. It would seem that those who are trying to modernize the way that women daven and who tends to stress the synagogue is as a centerpiece of prayer, often with true sincerity, have missed this crucial point. Communal prayer is the outer shell of devotion. True, it is vital component of the pillar of Avodah, and it echoes the temple service of yesteryear. Nevertheless, it remains by its essential nature external, and hence the responsibility of men. Yet any Jewish male who has tasted the joyous fruit, a true prayer has longed for that moment of privacy, to feel totally alone, wrapped in an inner world, with his heart, his lips, and his creator. The Sefas MS writes in a letter, the real Hasidim know that the only dabbling is beyechidus, dabbling alone. Indeed, many Sadiqim, including such luminaries as the Kotzer Rebbe and Rabbi Yeshua Leib Diskin, followed their extraordinary passion for prayer to its full extent and would only daven alone, away from the public gaze in the hidden sanctuary of their homes. 
Women's natural propensity for prayer is their eternal legacy, passed proudly from mother to daughter for generations. By stressing the lack of women's involvement in the synagogue, women have been robbed of their birthright. They have been made to feel inadequate in exactly the area where they excel. Ultimately, what Hashem wants in tefillah is our hearts. Women have been exceptionally endowed with rikshay lave, deep stirrings of the heart. It is the female heart that is perfectly fashioned to give in the loving service of God. Baruch Adonai Leolam, Amen ve Amen.